All right, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to Kremlin File. Welcome to Spooky October. In today's episode, we are going to interview former CIA counterterrorism chief Stephanie Hartel. She's an expert, okay, in cyber issues, malicious actors, data collection, extremists, also in counterterrorism, yes. right, in Southeast yeah. Asia, and the CIA's counterproliferation mm-hmm. division as well. She served in the Middle East, but I'm really also excited about speaking with her because we don't get the chance to be able to speak with women <laughs> operatives. And I think that's, I think it's something now that is absolutely, yay, exactly. And so I'm really excited. Yeah, no, me too, really, me really too. Excited. And I'm very excited to look at, you know, the like crossroads between extremism that we're seeing in U.S. Yep. and the disinformation mm-hmm. that's being generated by exactly. Russia. I think it's a very important exactly. you know, thing to delve into. Yep. So without any further ado, let's welcome Stephanie Hartel to the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. I hate to say it. I, I mean, we, you, a lot of our guests are men, but it's wonderful to talk with you and your experiences. So really, uh, sincerely, thank you. Thank well, you. thanks very much. I feel like I'm representing a lot of CIA women. There are a lot of really badass CIA women who have okay, been around great. For, for decades. Oh, we'd love to know more so. about them. So that's, okay. you know, that's important, right, okay. for, for everyone. Yeah, I agree. And yeah, I studied, absolutely. yeah, at university, I studied military history, just to give you a bit of a, a thing. So I was amongst, probably in my master's, I was amongst there were 12 of us and I was one woman, two, actually there were two of us, two women and 10 guys. Okay. So, I mean, they treated us with kid gloves and nobody ever gets into this stuff. So, you know, we're, uh, yeah, that's why it's it's so exciting. I'm so excited. It's like, it's it's funny when I started at CIA as a lawyer in the litigation division, I was the only female in a big department of men. Wow. At one meeting, they said, we see you as a man. I'm like, I don't know. That's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's the same. It's like, oh, wow. It's nice to be just treated as a person, right? Just, you know, your stuff, you know, your Mm -hmm. thing and you're making your contribution. And, you know, it's, uh, it was, it was quite a pleasure, but let's start right from the beginning. I don't yeah, know if you can sadly, use any of that, women, but it doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For women, sadly, we have to work like twice as hard. Like, hi, I yeah, here. Or, like actually <laughs> Olga and I were talking about this before, you know, like either Olga puts out a tweet or, you know, either I put out a tweet and until a guy comes along and says, oh, this is happening. Then everybody says, oh my God, you know? So let's welcome, okay, let's say officially, okay, yes. we started the conversation <laughs> in Medieres, but, okay, Stephanie Hartel, welcome, welcome to Kremlin File. Thank you Thanks so much, much for joining us. Yes, Thank you. yes, we're here. truly, truly happy to have you here. And this is just a heads up, okay, Stephanie, before... Um, Actually, we're going to be talking today about something that is, personally, I think is a fundamental issue. And Olga and I were talking about this even before, because it touches every single citizen of Mm -hmm. all ages, all extractions, everything. Okay. And this is about the information war that is ongoing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And people just don't pay enough. Don't give it the weight, in my opinion, of what they should And also how this information war has produced extremists. And with your experience, Stephanie, in counterterrorism, in the CIA, okay, you can shed a lot of light on this for us today. Mm -hmm. So 
But before we do, let's go back a little bit because we do want to ask you something about how you started. Now, not back to 1917. Wink, wink. That's a little <laughs> joke there. Um, <laughs> all the way back to 1917. But can you tell us, how did you get into the agency? Yeah, so I was in law school in New York and I was planning on working at a firm in New York and I'd actually already accepted an offer to work at a firm in New York. And I had a professor in law school, a woman who was, who used to work for Janet Reno and she just was really into elevating women and getting us, you know, into more important positions. And she suggested to me that I interview with the CIA as an attorney because there's a huge cadre of attorneys there. And Mm -hmm. um, I thought, well, you know, it was just, it was just a coolness factor. I'm like, well, CIA, that's extremely cool. I think I'll go (laughs) down and do it. So I went down to DC and I interviewed and, you know, they did various steps and I ended up getting an offer and I immediately abandoned my New York (laughs) firm. That's it. I'm out of there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, know, it was like more than twice the money. I'm like, this is just too cool. And even when I was being interviewed by CIA, they were like, why do you want this job? I'm like, well, there is a coolness factor to this job. (laughs) Exactly. Even being an attorney there is, is fun. It's cool. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you. Yeah. It's crazy. Let me ask you, Stephanie. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. Definitely. Um, In your experience with the CIA, was it difficult being a woman in the CIA? I know we touched about before how it's difficult to be taken seriously, right? Yeah. Did you have any of that while you were working in the CIA? You know, to tell you the truth, I didn't. And okay. I mean, I think that every organization, um, every big organization, CIA included, could stand to have more females in high positions, but they do. I mean, Gina Haspel, the former director, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, she was the chief of stations. She was, it shows you that there were females in senior positions uh, a long time ago. And she was a former boss of mine uh, when I first jumped over from being attorney to the counterterrorism center. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's, it's really interesting being a female operations officer because, you know, they never see it coming. Yeah, they're um, just not expecting it. Right? No, yeah, in the they, Middle East, for example, they wouldn't think, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question about it. I mean, they just don't take women. I mean, women don't exist in in any meaningful way in Middle Eastern society, at least in the Gulf region. Um, right. So they do not take women seriously at all. So I was actually encouraged when I was in the counterterrorism center. They sent me out there um, as a person who would interact on behalf of the CIA on counterterrorism issues, it was kind of funny. Like, here I am, you know, CIA has sent me here and you're going to have to deal with a woman. And uh, it was kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same with Soviet Union. I mean, they have a lot of women, not for the right purpose. Um, And they had a whole department in KGB to get compromised on Westerners, but they used, they looked down on them. I mean, it was not like, you know, how here with CIA, you know, it's on equal footing. So whenever they would encounter like a CAA female there, they would be like, huh, what? Oh, <laughs> no, wow. exactly. what's that? Yeah. <laughs> You're in the headlights. They don't know what to okay. do. So that's, I mean, that's an advantage. I think CIA recognizes that advantage. And therefore, I think that, you know, women, women, minorities, there's, there's so many, you know, aspects of, 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 of maybe the cross section of U.S. society that CIA mm-hmm. definitely has in their tool, but, and uses. So it's not all, Harvard yeah. white guys anymore. 
Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Chris Burgess was saying the exact same thing. Okay. Last yeah. week on the podcast, exactly the same diversity. Know yep. that there's yeah. a need for diversity and stuff like that. Exactly. Olga, why don't we get into some of the experiences now with Stephanie? Yeah. So, Stephanie, you've written that you spent a good part of your career at the CIA fighting to keep extremist groups at bay abroad. Then we saw, you know, January 6th, the coup happen. And I mean, literally, it was a terrorist attack on our capital. Um, do you think, and it was done by homegrown terrorists, did you see similarities in the tactics and, you know, what was happening between the same tactics that they used in here? Yeah, I mean, it really struck me because, you know, I had done counterterrorism for years after I left being an attorney at CIA. After 9-11, I jumped over to counterterrorism. Um, that was my first job over there. And um, it was just striking and chilling because I also had experience mm. at that point with Russia. Mm. And I saw the same tactics being empl employed. Um, wow. So you have, you know, it's, you have the terrorist attacks of 9-11 and other things. You can see them. They're tangible. They're horrible. Um, mm -hmm. they, they re it really struck most U.S. citizens, and it really unified U.S. citizens. But, yeah. you know, the, the January 6th uh, insurrection was fomented not just by Trump, but by Russia. And so mm. you, you, it, it's like radiation. You can't see it. And so there's no good rallying point for American citizens to say, we are being attacked. You know, we have to take up, you know, we have to do our own part to counter this. And I think the Russians and Trump were, were able to just to, to whip up this base of disenfranchised people, which are the same type of people that perpetrated 9-11. Mm -hmm. They're disenfranchised, yeah. just kicking around the Middle East. I mean, those are the people that terrorist groups like to target um, to be able to perpetrate terrorist attacks. They're willing to, you know, do conduct violent jihad against the United yeah. States and against yeah. other, against any enemy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so that Trump was be able to employ the same exact tactics. Um, and, and, you know, when the gallows went up outside the Capitol to hang pens, I thought, this is, I've seen this, you know, I walked by, mm -hmm. um, you know, the gallows in Saudi Arabia and seen where they hang people this is not America. And um, it was, and, and I think that, you know, Russia played a major part in January 6th in the fact that there are American politicians who are willing to mm -hmm. dabble in that, um, who are willing to dabble in the strength that Russian disinformation can do to help them stay in power is a, is a dangerous road to go down. And our democracy is so delicate. Um, it's, it's and you dangerous. wrote a piece on Washington yeah. in Washington Post exactly on that, you know, discussing how the similarities that you saw, you know, with your work overseas. Um, and as far as with Russia, I mean, like, how do like what do we do with this? Because we have the Republican mm. Party who for the past four years have been aligned with Russia. How do we go forward with this when half of the party, when one party is so willing to work with our enemies who, I mean, Russia's goal is to destroy us. They don't yes. want a functioning America. They don't want, they want to implode us and destroy us. And, yes. and that way they can, you know, have a, uh, control and as well as influence around the world. 
What do we do with that? I, th- I mean, I, th- I mean, part of it is education. It's really difficult in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. Like I was just saying, it's so hard to see the cyber um, disinformation. You know, people, you know, for example, I was just this morning looking at my Facebook feed and people are sharing memes and uh, they don't know where those memes came from, but they're catchy. Um, and yeah. so, you know, Russia is able to, they're like water. They're able to infiltrate the United States yeah. in ways that people don't even realize that they're kind of become soldiers for the Russians. And I think that, you know, it's not just hyperbole to say that these members of Congress have become soldiers for Putin when they spread disinformation and they know better. Um, they, these That's, guys have gotten the yeah. briefings and they yeah. totally understand what they're doing, but they got a taste of power. And I mean, it, it, I'd like to see the numbers of how much money and donations they get every time they're able to say something to whip up the base that, you know, makes a disenfranchised person feel better um, for all the wrong reasons. So, no, you know, yeah. Russia is able to so beautifully take those um, issues that are divisive in America and exacerbate them with the help yeah. of U.S. politicians. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, Estonia is a great example. Um, I don't know if we, if the U.S. could ever mount anything like Estonia has in, you know, having its people being engaged in recognizing and rooting out uh, Russian disinformation. But I think it's the greatest threat um, going. It's like radiation. You can't see it. It's not like 9-11 that you can rally. People don't believe you when you say, look, this meme is Russian. Um, They're not targeted at Republicans. They're not targeted at Democrats. They're targeted at both. And they're to get us fighting. And they do beautifully. Um, So I think social media companies companies could do a lot, too. to, to yeah. educate and to root out the disinformation. Um, yeah. I proposed in one, I think I proposed in one article that they have an award system for people who are able to root out um, uh, Russian disinformation on, on one yeah. of the platforms. Um, yeah, I think this should be a article. segment yeah. in the U.S. news. If we're going to have RT on our broadcast over our airwaves, we need to, you know, we should have the something to counter that in a meaningful way. So to have a news reporter explain what, you know, Russian disinformation is and what's been found that day, you know, they do things like that in Estonia. Let's do it here. Yeah, Yeah, I read the article. It was absolutely fabulous. You named it the cyber militia, right? (laughs) A well-regulated cyber militia. I mean, we've we've talked about Estonia quite often. Hey, Mm. Olga. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because they have their shit together, right? They do. They're on the front line. Mm -hmm. They, you know, had to combat this kind of stuff right from the get-go. There are other nations as well. They're all neighboring nations. And like you were saying, Stephanie, you know, the more awareness that that citizens have, then... No, it's uh, it's a lot better. Yeah. yeah. So in Estonia, I mean, they understand the threat of the Soviet Union. Yeah. And yeah. Or or Russia. Um, yeah. So I mean, the same. They're right on their doorstep. And so yeah, they, yeah. All the people truly understand. I think in the United States, people look at Russia and they're like, well, I don't know. They're they're white. They, they kind of uh, look like us, and they're not right. like Middle Eastern dark skinned terrorists. And so, therefore, we, you know, we don't really understand what the threat is. Is Putin such a bad guy when they don't really understand? 
Yeah. Um, well, there are also a lot of connections, right? You have the the Orthodox Church. There's a lot of, you know, Christian uh, Orthodox Church Yeah, evangelicals, then, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, so but that's they, what they Russia don't see it as a negative, right? That's where they... Yeah, no, and that's know. what Russia has, you know, done. They've infiltrated every part of our society, including yep. churches, militias, everything. I mean, you name it, yeah. they're, they're there. And I've yep. said that a thousand times, like, if, you know, Russia had dropped a bomb on New York, for instance, the country would rally and see it as a war. Yeah. Here, they are responsible for yep. more deaths than, you know, any military attack between the COVID disinformation, between, you know, what they're yeah. doing that we, like, people have lost their family members. They don't speak to their friends yep. because of what's happened and everyone becoming so polarized. And people don't understand that we're at war. They launched a war, yeah. you know, at us. And here we're still debating, like, oh, is Russia a threat? You know, maybe we should look at China. They're bigger. Meanwhile, like, every day from morning to night, the minute you pop on social media, that's yep. all you see is Russian disinformation. Like, and that's Yeah. Actually, Stephanie, let me ask you. Um, you know, we, we know, right, that why is it we know that disinformation and these kind of operations... Okay, are extremely, they're an extremely powerful tool. Okay. Mm -hmm. In your experience, but why? Why why should we really be paying attention to this kind of thing? Well, I think that in a good disinformation campaign um confirms beliefs that are held by by people in some way. I mean, when you look at Russia's history of disinformation, you know, you can go back. 1917. But I mean, a more recent go. example is, the, <laughs> is that AIDS was created by the Pentagon by a, you know, germ warfare uh, yeah. experiment yeah. going wrong yeah. in Africa or something that was completely made up. Um, but it's somewhat comforting, I think, just to Americans at the time to think, yes, AIDS is something foreign. It came from somewhere foreign. Um, and it's not something homegrown. Um, and it just confirms our own biases that we have. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that, I mean, disinformation is professionally, you know, the, the, the hook is baited really well to make you say, yeah, you know, even I get stuff on Facebook being a disinformation specialist and I'll look at it and say like, yeah, exactly. I agree with that sentiment totally. And, um, but then you look up the, the meme that's, uh, that's, you know, if you do a little research on who's posted it, it'll go back to, you know, Kosovo yeah. or some other random location. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're not an American at all. So I think that's the essence of why it works so well, um, is that it confirms yeah. biases that we ha have, that we hold, things that make us feel better about ourselves. And once they be, once they've hooked you, um, then they're able to spread more readily. You know, once Monique, you see that I like a page, then you are more likely to like a page, and exactly. Olga's more likely to yeah. like a page. It's happened to and me then it lots just of times. Spreads yeah. like a, like a virus. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and sometimes it's not just disinformation, like outright. Sometimes they'll, you know, have information to get you hooked, and then start feeding disinformation. So it's like not full out disinformation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. they definitely start. You see that a lot with the evangelicals. Um, 
I mean, the Russians really, really understand the, mm -hmm. the elements of our country and the divisions in our country really, really well, um, frighteningly so. And so you have a lot of memes or a lot of these Russian dis disinformation campaigns start with a religious, um, you know, set of information they put out. And it's just Jesus stuff. Um, it's yeah. just, you know, yeah. combating Satan and things like that. I mean, yeah. there was a famous one that was a meme that, that was put out as confirmed Russian disinformation by Congress that showed Jesus looking, staring down the devil and, um, mm -hmm. you know, share if you, you know, love Jesus or something. And, yeah. And then we're off to the races and then they've got yeah. their, their, their claws into that base. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Also, because, I mean, as you said, I think getting back to what you said, it's invisible in a certain way. No, uh, we don't yeah. see the people behind it. And, you know, we have this idea and maybe you, I don't know if you agree or not that we're not at war, but we actually are. Yeah. And we've talked to a lot of other analysts. This is what they say. We're at war. If you actually acknowledge that you are, then you can actually get out whatever you need, right, to combat it. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that, you know, one of the challenges for the United States is what to do in response to Russian right. disinformation. Um, I think a lot of things are, um, you know, the American sensibility is fair play, Um and I think mm -hmm. that if we ever did to Russia, uh, first of all, what we're capable of doing to Russia in, in the same way that they do to us, um, it just wouldn't sit well with a, with an American. Um, they wouldn't sit mm -hmm. well with their sense of fair play. And mm -hmm. so these are all things that the Russians just don't care about. I and mean, Putin doesn't care about it. You know, if we were no. to take down the power grid in Moscow in, in retaliation for a known cyber attack against the United States, I mean, people would die in Moscow if we took down yeah. the power. Um, yeah. That's something that if Putin did to the United States, he wouldn't care about. Putin would take down the power grid in Moscow if it would serve him well, and he, he doesn't care how many people would die. Uh, well, I think for Americans, they would. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the big problems of why we've lost the grip of handling Russia is because we think with Western values and Western yeah. laws and, you know, whereas, you know, even like uh, people like during the Ukraine buildup, people are like, oh, well, you know, the the, the Russian Navy, Putin's not going to do this. I said, Putin will kill 100,000 of his oh uh, military people. He does mm -hmm. not care about people. Care. If anything, it's less pension to pay. And then just grab, you know, another 100,000 and, and train them. Yeah. And like, so for him, he's playing with no boundaries Mm -hmm. He doesn't care about life or death. He doesn't care who, you know, whether his people suffer, Westerners suffer. Whereas we, uh, when we plan a response, we think about, you know, following Western law and following, uh, you sure. know, the rules and, and values. And to fight an enemy like that, sometimes it's hard because you have to know how they think in order to be able to respond appropriately back to him. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and the Kremlin will also issue denials. And I think oh. most Americans are like, well, well, maybe they didn't do it. You know, maybe Putin's right. And um, they just, oh, wow. <laughs> they just yeah. don't get it. And yeah. I think, I actually think that if Mer Americans more greatly understood it, they'd be unified and it would be and actually, yeah. you know, fun to be able to, fun's not the right word, but it would be a very yeah. patriotic thing and rewarding 
to be able to help everyone needs to get in the fight to counter disinformation. It's you know fundamental to protecting our democracy. And if everyone in America you know could help in that regard, that's the only thing that'll that that'll stop it. I think. Yeah, yeah. Now, a lot of your observations, Stephanie, does this come on the Russians? Does this come also from experiences in the Middle East? Did you find, know that they were, that they were operating there? I mean, we know that they were, but I mean, what did you find when you were? Yeah, I think so. I served two stints in the counterterrorism center. And so back in, right after 9-11, I didn't see a lot of Russia, but my second stint there in 2013, yeah, mm. I mean, Russia was doing in the Middle East what Russia does best, which is having absolutely no role in an issue like Syria, but inserting mm-hmm. itself as a player. Yeah, just getting and in there. Right. then all of a sudden you have American politicians saying, well, we need to go through Russia to solve the Syria problem, to solve, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to, to negotiate with Assad, to, um, you know, deal with Iran. And really, mm-hmm. Russia is so insignificant. I mean, they're really a very poor country with nuclear weapons. And so I wish that, well, I mean, if I had one wish for all, America, all, all American politicians, is that they'd stop even paying any attention to Russia when it comes to solving, you know, any big political issue. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, yes, I did. I did by see the way, I mean, it happens here as well. It's not yeah. just in the States. I mean, yeah. the, the previous yeah, government, I, not this one now in Italy, but the previous, yes. But yeah. we know that they were hooked up. So, yeah, I, I roll know, my it's... eyes when I hear, oh, we're going to say we're Russia from, you know, cyber security, like cooperation. I'm like, what? That's a joke. <laughs> like, yeah. What yeah. Is it, you know, or, I, or to battle terrorism. Like, what? Like, yeah, I, Russia's... I, yeah, I can tell you that, you know, the Russians are one, one of the few entities around the world that are willing to politicize terrorist threat information. And so I think that they're not a reliable partner. I know they're not a reliable partner on terrorism. Okay. So if we got threat information in the United States and we mm-hmm. heard that something was going to happen in Russia, we wouldn't figure out how to leverage that. Um, yeah. We wouldn't maybe withhold it, maybe tell them half the information. Mm-hmm. We would tell them, we would warn them. Um, they would okay. not do the same. Um, they, if they had terrorism information uh, about anything happening in the United States or any other Western location, they would figure out you know, their first meeting would be is how do we leverage this? You know, yeah. how do we manipulate this information to benefit Russia? Um, yeah. So they're not a good yeah. partner. They're a terrible partner on terrorism. Okay. Yeah. No. Cross them off the list. Cross them off the list. Yes. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. no, absolutely. Actually, keeping on a little bit more about information, um, we wanted to ask you, okay, Olga and I wanted to ask you a little bit about what happened with Frances Hogan, okay, in no, her testimony in Congress. And FB that has the, the capabilities, we know now, right, and through her testimony that they have the capabilities um, of curbing right? Disinformation mm-hmm. that's on their website, on their, yeah. their platform. All they, and we know that they do because during the elections they did. Mm-hmm. Okay. They tweaked the algorithm for that brief period, but now, right. It's all back. And she was very, you know, uh, she was saying that they do it for profits basically. I mean, let's yeah. be very frank, right? At what point though, in your view, okay, Stephanie, at what point does government have to intervene? Okay. Because, 
It's not a First Amendment issue anymore, but it's an actual national security threat. So what do you think about this? Yeah, I think the scales have already tipped um, that, you know, the American government's got to get involved in regulating more uh, the social media platforms. You know, the we, you know, the First Amendment is something that Americans, you know, will throw out there for, you know, First Amendment right to whatever. And then they're often wrong when they throw it around. But the First Amendment right is not absolute. I mean, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater is the best example. So you're not allowed to do something that will endanger other people's lives. And I I think that we were well beyond the point uh, where we can look at social media platforms and and understanding their their capability. And I agree, they are fully capable of policing Russian disinformation and finding a source of information much, much easier than they say, oh, you know, we have so many billions of users and too hard and I just don't agree with that. I think that's nonsense. And um, yeah. I think that the yeah. scales are have already tipped. I think don't think that okay. we're like, we're, when are we going to get to that point? I think we're well beyond that point. I think in 2016, um, when we see the way that they uh, were able to manipulate our voting and our democracy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, the, yeah, the fat lady was no, saying it's shocking. That yeah, it's shocking. It's shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and to follow up on that, I mean, we saw January 6th happen. If you would take out the Russia factor, do you think it would get that violent? And then to follow up with that, we see the same players like Steve Bannon, who basically was, you know, attempting to help Bolsonaro in Brazil to do a, the same style January mm-hmm. 6th coup of you uh last month yeah right yeah do you see this russian disinformation turning more violent like as as they're grabbing more people into their fold yeah i think they're getting bolder and bolder um i think that they see things work and i think that that when they deny things that a lot of americans are like yeah (laughs) yeah it might not be them and uh so i think january 6th Mm. was just an escalation uh, you know, you're beyond the 2016 election cycle and the election cycles thereafter. They're like, we can do more, you know, than just manipulate elections in the United States. We can actually cause violence in the United States. And they did a little bit of that during the election cycle with the Black Lives Matter protests that were completely inventions of the Russians on both sides. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, January 6th, I don't think Trump, um, would have been as effective at whipping up Mm. that base to violence without at least some instruction and assistance from the Russians to be able to manipulate social media, to, to rally people to the cause, um, to, to put out information that's still out there about what's happening in Washington, DC and what needs to be done to stop it. Um, So you, you have everyone who's kind of whipped up by what they see on social media then you have the president of the United States who gets out there and really parrots Russian disinformation. Yeah. How frightening is oh, that? Yeah. And I know, my um, God. And I think it's all of them. It's terrible yeah. brute. Yeah. yeah. So his his role in your view was more aggregator and then no incitement. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I think that yeah. he you know, I think that Trump looks at Putin and aspires to be someone like mm. him. 
um, not understanding, not being smart enough to understand, and not, and also just not caring about the effects that has on democracy because it's just power. You know, it's you know I think that Putin has instructed him on the way to ascend to power and stay in power and maintain power. And so, um, you know, you have someone who's kind of being instructed by the Russians on how to do something like this and we can assist with something like this. And so you have the Russian disinformation online piece and then you have Trump coming out there and making statements and say much, you know, and he can, he has his own plausible deniability. All I told them was, you know, to... Yeah. To stop the steal, or it's all I said. You know, I didn't tell them to, you know, break through the window. So it doesn't matter because I was on social media. So it was the combination of the two, and we're off to the races. Yeah. Wow. And what's more dangerous is that because I follow Russian media and social media, Russian politicians on January 7th came out mm. and said, Oh my God, these are political prisoners they're searching for. And I think at that point it was because of what was happening with Navalny. So they kind of wanted to, you know, make a comparison with the protesters there. But then mm. they saw that it caught on this, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. that these are political prisoners. And yep. then by March or maybe April, I see it here being parroted by Republicans. And mm-hmm. then I see this back and forth where you have, Russian politicians up to Putin himself and the foreign minister Lavrov saying, oh, these political prisoners, they need to be released. We we need to appeal for them. And then you have again here the Republicans who are parroting the same thing. And I was like, this is unbelievable. Like, you know, and like, what can we do as far as that? Like with Republican Party who have gone this far to choose working with our adversaries in order to keep power. Yeah. It's, it's so difficult. I mean, because they are in power, they're elected by their people. So they're already in positions of power. Um, I just think that the social media platforms, I mean, it's all the sensitive balance of them trying to make money. And um, I think it's important for social media companies to out the source of the disinformation that is parroted by various centers like, you know, Josh Hawley or even Lindsey Graham, right. they come out with these ridiculous statements, yeah. which really yeah. their origin is in Russia. Um, and so, wow. I mean, I think the only thing that, that, that can be done is the social media company, you know, go head to head with that. And I, I don't know how you make that happen because social media companies are worried about government regulation and they don't want it. Um, and so I mm-hmm. think there's this, this kind of, symbiotic relationship that's developing, which is, you know, the social media companies will kind of let it, let it go and it'll be parroted by the politicians and this law will all be, you know, kind of, you know, under the table cooperation where, you know, politicians who want to cling to power, like Lindsey Graham, for example, or Ted Cruz, you know, they get tons in donations whenever they, whenever they parrot something. Um, that's yeah. Russian disinformation that makes the disenfranchised feel better. And, you know, this mm-hmm. happened back, you know, all the way to, um, you know, when Michael Flynn was just, you know, out campaigning mm-hmm. with Trump, you know, the most chilling yeah. moment is when, uh, yeah. for me is when he got up on the stage and talked about Hillary Clinton and said, yeah, lock her up. Um, yeah. I thought, well, yeah. that doesn't happen in the United States. We don't, we don't lock up political adversaries. They do that in Russia. 
but they yeah, don't do it absolutely. here. Absolutely. And having yeah. seen uh, Flynn sitting next to Putin at that dinner uh, yeah. the year before, like you just don't get to sit next to Putin at a dinner uh, at a randomly. Dinner. And so, yeah. 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 Well, go back a few years. Well, go back go. a few years, and uh, Flynn apparently visited GRU headquarters and laid yep. wreaths for GRU members. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see that happening either. So, yeah, I mean, I think exactly. that Michael Flynn wasn't seasoned enough. Um, didn't understand. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's the best spin you can put on this. He just didn't understand. He was in over his head. Um, but um, <laughs> at this point, I tend to think it's worse. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Well, also because with your experience, right, as you said, right, it's not like you just walk in and sit down beside Putin, right? Right. You know the way things work. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, he, and he should have known that. He's director of DIA and he's supposed to be this Russian expert. And, you know, if I was sat down at a dinner next to Vladimir Putin, I'd be like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 Stephanie, no. how many how many theaters have you worked in? Um, let's see. I mean, I, I specialize in, the, in the, you know, in counterterrorism, which spanned uh, the Middle East, you know, which really, right. I think that Saudi Arabia was my, my main focus okay. um, when I was uh, in uh, the counterterrorism center the first time. And okay. also the second time. <laughs> um, second but time. I also uh, worked, you know, the, the, former Warsaw Pact countries. Um, okay. And I lived in Russia. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of have this unique combination. And so when I see the terrorist tactics being used um, by the mm. Russians, I'm like, oh, danger, danger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you have your radar out. That's yeah. it. You can yeah. see it. You can I see I have it. a question. Being that you, um, you know, gathered intelligence, do you think part of this wishy-washy, People not understanding Russia as a threat is because the administrations, several now, have not, you know, listed Russia as a threat and we don't have a clear foreign policy towards Russia. Because like in the 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, we were in the Cold War and people knew if I work with Soviets, you know, I am a traitor. And we had very few cases, but it was like a handful of cases versus now where people are parroting their disinformation, conducting operations, taking their money and whatnot. Do you think if, you know, there was a clearer like foreign policy crafted on how what Russia is to us, then it could cut out a lot of the lobbyists and the attorneys and the propagandists and, you know, and and help. Yeah, like I mean, educate oh, Americans of what that Russia is a threat. Yeah, Olga, I think you've hit it on the head. I mean, the uh, yeah, you know, there's administration after administration, and it really is both parties. I mean, Trump was Trump was the you know was bad on yeah, steroids, that, so yeah. he's gonna have to take him out of the category. <laughs> but even right now, I mean, there's not a, a, the aggression against Russia that could be. I mean, I think that you know, I find it sometimes befuddling. Uh, when I hear people from the State Department now saying, "Well, we have to consider Russia," and I'm like, "They have a um, they have an economy smaller than Italy's." Sorry, Monique, but I'm Italian too. Uh, it's small in Italy's, cool. and so <laughs> no, we know, we know. <laughs> yeah, and so they're really they just insert themselves, and they're really yeah. not a player. They're, they'll never yeah. really be at the big boy table. Yes, they're on the UN Security Council. Um, 
and Germany, strangely, is not. Um, but, yeah. I mean, France so we, we do have to take yeah. in, consider, you know, we do have to have nuclear talks with them. But we are in the driver's seat. We are so much more powerful uh, than Russia. And, you know, we are like a Great Dane and they are like a Chihuahua. And so the hesitancy is befuddling to me. And sometimes yeah. I don't really understand what the entire issue is that we can't be more forceful with them. Same. Yeah. Same. Yeah, we talk about this Same. all the time. Yeah, <laughs> because know. it's like, you know, I like, you know, being, again, from that region. Like, I just don't understand why everyone makes Putin into a strong man. I'm like, yeah. my God, he's like a mafia thug that yeah. started like, that's with it. nothing. And yep. here he is dictating how countries, you know, act. And I'm like, what? Why? Like, you yeah. could just yeah. give him one good shove mm-hmm. and that's it. And no one is even saying to go into war with him. Like, you know, and if you say sanctioned, like Putin's inner circle suddenly, see, oh, but they're a nuclear power. I'm like, first of all, their, their military equipment falls apart, even on their victory day parade. Like, you know, their <laughs> tanks are smoking and falling over. So it's like, just because they have nuclear weapons does not mean that they have to like, you know, kind of be like terrorists having a grip on how everybody responds to them, you know, and there there has to be a better way. Yeah. I mean, the Russians fully understand, too, that they can never beat the U.S. militarily. No, Um, (laughs) no. And so... But the only way they could do is this asymmetric warfare, you know, this. Which is the disinformation that we're seeing. Exactly. And cyber. And uh, and, and they're they're cleaning our clock because people just don't understand. This is the war. You know, I don't mean to be dramatic, but we're in the war right now. Yes. 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 Yeah. Well, I mean, I speak to a lot of people. And And one simply. Well, no. Yes. Well, because everybody says, yeah, but they're nuclear. You know, they have nuclear weapons. I said, they're not going to throw nuclear weapons where they have bank accounts. No, absolutely you know? not. Yeah, you know, Pakistan's you know, got nuclear weapons them. too. And we're not like, oh, we have to consult Pakistan before we yeah. do whatever. <laughs> exactly. so, no, no, I, I no. just think Russia, sadly, is better at, I mean, the, Putin, instead of investing in tanks and military equipment, invest in buying influence. And that way, mm-hmm. then you have That's people right. who kind of stop the policies maybe moving forward. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're definitely not, uh, the superpower. Putin will never be a superpower on the world stage. No, he's just a a clever little guy. We always do the old. That's uh, it. Let's, let's use that. Stephanie, I think we're going to end with the, he's just a little guy. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Shrimp in the basket. <laughs> Cause we're going to continue our conversation, okay. but we're going to say goodbye to you now. Okay. And thank you, Stephanie. Stephanie, what are you doing now? Just very quickly so that people can keep up with you and what you're doing. Um, well, I'm on Twitter. It's Stephanie. It's Steph C. Hartel. Yeah. Right now I just wrote a book and it'll be interesting oh. to see. Um, oh, it's, great. It's, a, it's an espionage book. And, um, I, I've sent out just to one agent just to see whether I, I re- embrace myself for rejections. I understand how this works. But we're well, going to do this two again. people who will buy it right away. So, yeah. Yes. You know? Hey, everybody. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and please visit our website, kremlinfile.com, and find our links to our socials in the show notes. This is Season 1, Kremlin File, hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Kamara. This is a Bunker Crew Media production. 
with executive producers Marley Clements, Jack Bryan, Grant DeSimone, Ben Brett, and Jordy Mycellus of Midas Media, with associate producers Ruby Frankel and Sarah Metz. Theme music by Oreste Camarna. Sound editing and mixing by Joy Ellett. Subscribe to Kremlin File wherever you listen to podcasts.